Welcome, consumed listeners, to another season of the podcast that stokes candid conversations with California eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers. And speaking of stoking, I'm stoked you're here. How California is that? This season, I spoke exclusively with women in the wine industry, and it was a transformative experience on my end. These are smart, accomplished, and dare I say, ballsy people I interviewed from diverse experiences, cultures, and walks of life. Oh, and I chatted with them outdoors to be COVID safe. Don't be surprised if you hear a lawnmower, barking dog, or wind chime in the breeze. This is my backyard. Welcome. I want to say something here about one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders, Rancho de Onaveros Wines in California's Santa Maria Valley. Vigneron James Onaveros is an example of a man who shares his platform with the women in his life, business, and industry, including me. He wrote a post on Instagram about the all-women crews that work at Rancho de Onaveros, and I wanted to share that with you. He wrote, There's a sense of detail and accuracy that I've always admired and appreciated out of our crew of ladies. The level of detail and care is unmistakably fantastic. In a business where every little detail adds up in the end to something superior, if done well, it truly matters. I'm always impressed and privileged with the results from this excellent team. Many thanks to Rancho de Onaveros and James for his support of this podcast and the diversity of voices in the wine industry. For more information about Rancho de Onaveros wines, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com. Many thanks as well to Slow Life Magazine, the publication that puts the people of San Luis Obispo County in the spotlight. For my next food column in the magazine, I'm writing about rogue pizza makers. That's folks who make and sell their artisan pizzas through non-traditional channels, like from their home kitchen. It turns out there's a real trend here on the Central Coast of secret pizza people who use social media to promote and sell their stuff. Check out the next issue of Slow Life Magazine for more information or visit slowlifemagazine.com. When I invited Sharday Shepard to join me on the podcast, she actually said to me, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. This is hysterical because, as it turns out, Chardet has more to talk about than most. She is the cellar master for a Santa Barbara winery, but before that, she dabbled in oil and gas, law, teaching yoga, and professional wrestling. Yes, for a time, Chardet wrestled for WWE as Scorpia, which is incredible. She talks to me here about growing up in a ranching family in Wyoming, traveling with her mother around the world, and the restaurant manager whose enthusiasm for wine rubbed off on Chardet. Here's my conversation with Sharday Shepard. Sharday Shepard, thank you so much for joining me on my on my funny backyard. I love it back here. It's so cute. Yes. You got the treehouse, you've got your tomatoes. <laughs> it's awesome. I know. And we may even be able to hear the neighbors um chickens because it's been warm today and they are clucking. (laughs) Well, you and I met uh, online, which we were just saying is in a year of COVID where I I mean, I'm like you, I'm meeting so many people not in person that really feel like friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I met you through someone I don't really know in person, which is Justin Trebu. Yeah. Um, And uh, she helped out with a a season of this podcast, but we did everything virtually. And so it sounds like that's how you met her too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was originally part of a women in wine, um, Facebook group that's in the central coast. And from there I started branching out, making friends with people on Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just getting to know people online. And it's really the first year that I've done that, that I've made these connections online and then, decided, hey, let's meet up. Let's take a bottle of wine to the beach. We can socially distance and um, just kind of hang out. So that's how I met Justin Trebu and uh, Saman Mitchelson as well. So along with my other friend, Heather, who does uh, craft and cluster photography. Right. And who's on this um, season of the podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm totally with you. Um, I have met people online who I've collaborated with and then actually seen them in person. And that's a weird (laughs) moment when Mm -hmm. you're like, 
would they know me? And I've got the mask on. Yeah, you're like, I should say hi, right? I'm, I'm going to say hi. <laughs> yeah. We've had hours of conversation. Should I say hi? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are an assistant, not sorry, I keep wanting to say assistant winemaker. I'm sure you could be. Um, but <laughs> you're someday. Someday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Soon, I'm sure. You are cellar master at a winery in Santa Barbara County. Yeah. Yeah. So how in the world did you wind up getting into wine after what I you've told me is a really crazy set of circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly with my current position, um, I got very lucky. I was coming out of a harvest and after harvest, you're always kind of looking for what you're going to do for the year until the next harvest. And there was a position open and I was able to get in there and just start working. So it's been a huge learning year. I've learned so many things. You have forklift and barrel maintenance and um, just overall facility management. Uh, so there's like plumbing and electrical work and a lot of spending time on Google and <laughs> yeah. hoping that there's some kind of Reddit or forum or <laughs> something where they can help you. A YouTube video for everything. Yeah. Um, like how do I reband hoses and and just learning that whole process and so. So this was your this is your first year of being cellar master. It's my first year being cellar master. My first year full time at a winery. Okay, in and the off season. So. How does it compare to being out in the field? Or, or, or I mean, I know when you work a harvest, you're not just in the field, but that's such a heavy, intense period mm-hmm. of time. And now you've got a year mm-hmm. of sitting in the cellar. What's that like? It's just the, there's so many small projects. So you're doing the topping, the SO2, um, you're, you know, sending samples to the lab, just the constant upkeep. And then there's downtime mm-hmm. where you're kind of filling, planning um, for bottling for harvest. Um, but it's very different. It's very quiet. Yeah. So harvest is this fun time and there's so many people around and you're eating and drinking and just working insane hours all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the off season is a lot of time by yourself. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of time listening to podcasts, um, yes. a lot of long days. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, like I love my food and beverage podcast, yeah. but then I also go true crime. Same. Oh yep. my gosh. <laughs> so are you listening to anything right now? Um, I listen to my favorite murder. Yeah. Um, I did listen to the Kristen Smart podcast. Fantastic. Um, but I find a lot of times then you get kind of scared. You're by yourself and you yes. hear a sound and you're like, what was that? Oh you're my like, gosh. hello, hello. Is anybody here? <laughs> the Golden State Killer one or, mm. and the Zodiac Killer. I mm-hmm. really, I had to turn that off. Yeah, some of them get too scary. Too scary. Totally. <laughs> well, you told me that you, um, you're not a typical winemaking story. You come Correct. from, you grew up in Wyoming. Yes. Yeah, where in Wyoming? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming, which mm-hmm. is where the University of Wyoming is. Um, but my family grew up in a small county, Carbon County, um, in a place called Bags. Mm. Uh, it's very close to the Colorado border, about 15 minutes. Um, and then they stretch all the way up to Saratoga area, which has a lovely hot springs. Mm. And then all the way up by Casper. So they're kind of spread out. Um, they've been there since the late 1800s. Wow. Um, yeah. Originally great, great grandmother brought herself and seven children across Mm -hmm. the country from New York to Wyoming to start a new life. Mm -hmm. Um, she was, I think the oldest, she was 18 at the time. And then the siblings were all just younger. Um, and they started a stagecoach. So my family actually used to deliver all the supplies and mail around the rural areas of Wyoming. Which is like all of the areas, right? All of, yeah, it's all rural now. <laughs> Back then in the 1800s, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, and then they started getting land and um, ranching. So as the younger siblings grew up, um, they each got parcels and started um, mostly cattle, but they also do some hay. Um, and yeah. that's still, still cattle ranching. Still, yep, yeah, they're okay. still there, still ranching. Um, it's hard now because as people age, you want the kids to take over. But yeah. my family was always so like, get an education, go do things that excite you. And um, so now it's hard to get the younger generation to come back. But yeah. my cousins are there. They're doing a really good job. That's remarkable. So, if yeah. your parents, why do you think they encouraged you to get an education? Where does that come from? Uh, my my grandmother actually went to um, college in Denver, um, so that was in the 40s. So she and her sister were, um, I mean, really two of the first women to go through. Mm. Uh, my grandmother was a teacher, and my grandfather was a superintendent. Mm-hmm. Um, so education has been important. Yeah. I also think coming from Wyoming, they always knew it was a small state, a small community um, and bubble. Yeah. So it's been really important ever since I was young to travel to go to see things to do things Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that comes from my mom 
Yeah. Um, she's an anthropologist and then worked as the for the Office of Study Abroad for the University of Wyoming. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. I know. Lucky me. I got to travel with her. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So does she get to, I mean, in a normal year, would she get to travel quite a bit? Mm-hmm. Um, she'd always do one major domestic and one major international school. Wow. Um, and she would deal with how credits transfer. Mm-hmm. So I would go along with her as her assistant. And the best was I was asked to take the train, take the bus, um, do the downtown, kind of get the lay of the land. Suss it out. And then write a report. So then students would use that to be like, oh, if my plane lands at the airport, I can take a train or this is what it's like to find the train station or it was really confusing. Don't go to the wrong train station. So where's one uh, of the logistics. That that is so cool. Um, What was one of the coolest places you went? And tell me a scary story. Oh no! Um, <laughs> I love scary. It's the same. Stories. It's the same country. Um, my one of my favorite places was Istanbul, Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, it was beautiful. It was probably the biggest, most sprawling, rolling um, community I've seen. Like when you're up at the top of the hill, sometimes you just look down and there's just nothing but a sea of of houses, of yeah. apartments. Um, and it's just beautiful. And you know, I love all the kinds of foods and sweets and dates and coffee the and. The markets and even the call to prayer is just a really beautiful, beautiful. sound. And mm-hmm. to hear that, um, you know, being, you know, from Wyoming or even the States, like it's not something we're used to. Yeah. Um, and so I loved being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my scariest story is also in the same spot. Um, we went over by Ankara in Turkey, which is the um, Asian continent side, mm-hmm. but the capital. And I went to leave campus to go on a day trip to walk around and kind of, um, couldn't buy a train ticket they won't sell to tourists mm. so then I had to walk back to the university and when I got back um, I didn't speak enough Turkish and they had me lay down on the ground and they held me at gunpoint until they could get um, a person from the university to confirm that I was allowed on property Holy cow. so yeah oh my gosh what year was that um oh my gosh I have to do quick math um, mm. but that would have been 2016. Oh, this recent. Oh. Yeah, recent. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, wow. Then my husband and I flew to Italy. I think it was 2016. Yeah. Um, but we flew Turkish Air and we went through um, Istanbul, the big um, Ataturk airport. And um, yeah. I was really nervous. I mean, they had just had the the suicide bomber yep. there. And um, you can ask my husband. Yeah. I just was having a hard time. Yeah, that was when I was there in 16, even in Istanbul at night, we heard uh, shootings um, just all night. You would just hear pop, pop, pop oh, because um, they were doing riots yep. in the street. And we were staying in a in an Airbnb that was right two streets over from mm-hmm. where the riots were. But then during the day, the riots clear out. So they're they're only really at night. I've heard but that. But it's still very unsettling because during the day, um, I mean, when I travel, I try to culturally follow as many rules as possible. So yes. I was wearing long sleeves. I had a hooded sweatshirt on that I would flip up the hood. So my head's relatively covered, yeah. um, pants, things like that. But there were Americans in shorts and T-shirts. Yikes. And um, mobs of men would chase them down the street. Oh, my God. So it's, I mean, you just, traveling is one of those delicate things to always be respectful and find out where you are and integrate into the culture Mm -hmm. um, because the world is the world. Yeah. (laughs) And and also, like, I really appreciate your take on that because nobody wants to be phobic about a culture either. Yeah. So, like, I would go back. Yeah. And and I even, even given a bad experience, like... I still think about it all the time. I'm like, I would love mm. to go back to go to Cappadocia and do the air balloons and mm. and drink some more wines there. And even, you know, it's Good just different there? and fun. Um, you know, it's so different. We had like the wine that they make in the large amphora yes. in the ground. And it was a little bit of a field blend with maybe 23 different grapes. And yeah. there was some residual sugar. And But y- it's just fun to try. And Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I had Greek wine one time and I was like, what am I drinking? <laughs> right. That resonance. The, the, yeah. With the little bit of like sappy. It's like sap. sappy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I love it. But it's like it, it does take. I was talking to somebody else on this season of the podcast that it's hard when you first experience something not to do the knee jerk. Well, this is weird. Yeah. Reaction. Um, I've been trying to t- teach my kids. We don't say weird anymore. Weird's really like not a great word anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's different. Um, it's un- unusual to me or it's like surprising to me, something like that. 
I don't know. I'm probably in the weeds on that, but no, I love a good descriptor like that where you yeah. say the word like weird is, is such a word. Like, what do you mean by weird? What makes right. it weird? Why is it weird? It's just that you're not familiar with it. Exactly. Like, familiarize yourself. Like, what is it about it that you like or appreciate or, yeah. yeah and so. think about, just think about it. Yeah. What are you thinking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait. My kids have a tiny taste of what it, what it means to be in the world, not just in San Luis Obispo, California. And um, I just cannot wait once this stupid virus lets up to take them. I want to take them to D.C. Yeah. I want to take them to Italy, um, to Australia. I just yeah. so many things we want to do. Well, okay. so you go with your mom. So I didn't realize it was so recent. You'll go with your mom on those trips. Yeah, she just retired last year. Okay. So um, one of our last big trips was to do like South America. We did like Chile, Peru, Ecuador. Um, that's where my dad's from. So that's, okay. it's kind of fun to get to go with my mom and revisit. That was our big last trip. Um, now she's retired, but we'll travel again. Yeah. yeah. You say your dad's from Ecuador? Um, he is. Yeah. That's where my parents met. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So was he part of that ranching community? He is there? not. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Very much my mom's side of the family. All right. Okay. Yeah. And you said that um, your, well, tell me a little bit about your career trajectory when you were, say, graduating high school, what you thought you'd be doing? Yeah. um, Graduating from high school, I went to a school in Montana. I wanted to stay in the mountains and ski, and it's far enough away from home that I can't go home all the time, but close enough that it was something familiar. Um, And I studied microbiology. I originally thought that I would be a forensic anthropologist or pathologist, Started looking into that, did a couple job shadows, and it's like, I don't, I don't want to do autopsies all day. Oh, I like Lord. the living, yeah. and um, I don't want to just be in a lab testing things. Um, so I kind of had this crisis where I was started in the program, wanted to stay science, um, but didn't know what I would do. Mm. And to my family, that is um, like a non-negotiable, like you have to have a plan. Oh, and, they're big planners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were like, find an internship for the summer. Uh, You can't just hang out. And they took me to a job fair in Wyoming and dropped me off for the day. And they were like, by the end of the day, you can have an internship. And I was kind of walking around. It was uh, mining and logging and oil and gas. And I thought, why am I here? You know, like, what am I going to (laughs) find? And uh, I ended up talking to um, the recruiters from Halliburton. And... They were like, let's sit down, let's do an interview. And I did that with them and they explained their job and we talked about it. And I said, I don't think I want to work here. I don't think it would be a good fit. Hmm. And they called me the next day and they were like, you've got the job. We need someone who's strong willed and who can say like, I don't really want to do this, you know, and, and speak up for themselves because yeah. the oil field's hard. And yes. so I had an internship with Halliburton uh, for three years through college. An internship for three years. Yeah, I would go down um, all summer, all Christmas um, any weekends that I could go and work, I would go. Wow. Um, I started in the lab and then soon after they were like, you need to get out in the field. Um, so I started doing field work, um, and training to be an engineer. And successful, it sounds like. It was, I mean, it was fun. I definitely learned a lot. I did grow. Um, the plan was for me to start full-time as an engineer when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I graduated in 2008 and the oil field mm-hmm. went on a bust. Yeah. So, um, no one from my intern class was hired that year. It was the first year. I think they said in 20 years they hadn't hired um, in the summer. So. Yeah. 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 I graduated 2000 from college. Mm-hmm. And that's right as the, you know, Silicon Valley, everything was busting. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling of. Yeah. It's like, what am I doing here? I, I would take anything. I did end up taking something that I wouldn't have normally taken. And actually it was really, it was good. It was part of the path. Um but man, when you graduate, you just want certainty. Yeah, you want that certainty. And also it's that, that dream that's been built up for you, that yeah. you go through school and then you go and you go to college, you get this education, you get out, you get a job, you're set, mm-hmm. you're, you're done, that's it. And life is good and life goes forward and you're an adult now. Yeah. And so, um, especially when I didn't have that, I was like, what do I do? Yeah. And my family has very little help. They're like, well, I don't know. Figure it out. You sound like hard ass. <laughs> Do something. I mean, it's it's the like West, in, in right? the it's best way. Growing up in the West, you figure out so many things for yourself because your my family was working yeah. a lot of the time, and they they had time for us, but not time to 
solve every little problem. Like, what do I do? Like, oh, poor woe is me. Good and they're like, no, them. not poor woe is you. Like, go find something. So, yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I That's love probably it. why I'm the way I am now. Like, yeah. very adaptable and very easy to um, find a job, find a position, mm-hmm. because I know that at any given time that might not be there. Yeah. Like, your industry may go into a bus. Your industry may close down. I mean, yeah. Well, Restaurants and, and everything. A lot of ooh. people this year have learned you have to adapt. You have to change. It's it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me that again, Charday. Okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, so you couldn't find anything or you or you couldn't you weren't going to be doing what you thought you'd be doing yeah I did a couple stints I was really lucky the oil field did try to keep me Mm -hmm. uh they brought me back on um and I went to the new oil field in North Dakota Mm. and and I stayed in a man camp and I lasted a little under a month I couldn't do it it's why not um it just felt incredibly unsafe and it's just a lot of long days of just getting up working and then going back to a modular trailer home where I had to stay and wasn't allowed to leave unless I called for someone to come and escort me away from the building. So I was like, this isn't a life. This isn't life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then they were like, we can move you to Houston, put you in an office. And I did that for a little bit and just felt so the same way, just trapped and contained and just punching a clock and, and that feeling to me is the opposite of living. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, well put. Punching a clock is just, I can't do it. Are they called man camps? It's officially called a man camp. Yeah, they take modular homes. They split them into tiny rooms. Mm. Um, they'll set them up. Uh, like 10,000 people can live in a man camp. Eight, usually around 8,000. Wow. Um, especially at that time. And it's every walk of life. It's yeah. It's everyone. I mean, my crew, I joke for a while, but some of my friends were ex-cons. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we came from such different paths. Mm. And even sometimes just talking to them and being around them, I was like, how are we such good friends? Yeah. Like, Which is beautiful. It's beautiful. It is really good. Yeah. But then there are times when you're like, I need, I just want to go home at night and yes. have a life, have my friends. Yeah. Yeah. You were living the life of, um, I learned the term for that is a roustabout. Somebody. A roustabout. <laughs> I love that. And when I was working at a wine marketing firm, um, I named a wine for um, Trader Joe's. It's called Roustabout. And it's it's great because the thinking behind it was all of these, um, the the label would source from all different places. And they did tend to be oil-rich places. And so we, I just thought that name was yeah. so great. Yeah, and they have it from time to time still, um, a brown label with a little black drawing yeah. on it. But yeah, that's a that's a hard life. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was hard. It definitely, I'm so grateful for it mm. because it does teach you um, work and the value of work and just being able to keep going. Some of our days, I mean, you're over 18 hours, you're in winter conditions, summer conditions, Uh, the work is extremely demanding. And, and so I think having that, and now being at a winery where it's similar in demand, and you just never know when you're going to leave, what the projects are going to be. You know, how heavy something is. (laughs) As you were talking about that, I was thinking winery. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not, uh, it's not completely different. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So you told me before we started recording that you also have a background in, um, tell me about the wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, I mean, when I left the oil field, I I went, um, played with the legal field a little bit. So I worked as a paralegal, thought that maybe I would go to law school and and that would be my path. And um, when I was working at a law office, I was noticing that attorneys were applying, people who'd graduated from law school were applying for assistant positions because that's how bad the job market was. 
And I think that scared me away for a little bit. And I also was just like, I can't be chained to this desk. No, I don't see that. Yeah. Being <laughs> yeah. So I started working in restaurants, um, really got started in Boston, hmm. um, spent about three years there, um, worked at an awesome place that was really great about doing wine classes and teaching us about the wines from Italy. It was mostly Mediterranean style food, Italian focus, um, and just really making sure that we knew how to talk about wine. Yeah. And then I moved back to Colorado um, for a little while and was in Boulder. Same thing was in restaurants, but still kind of looking for where I would finally end up. Yeah. Um, Thinking that I would stay science, um, maybe go work for OSHA. Mm -hmm. So I started a program out of Colorado that um, was a master's level program in industrial hygiene. Mm. Um, And while I was at a restaurant, I basically had a table. We were getting along. We were laughing, having a great time. And at the end, he was like, I, I want to start training you. He's like, I'm a manager and recruiter for the WWE. And he's like, you are you would be a great wrestler. He's what like, does WWE stand for? I think it's World Wrestling Entertainment. I don't think that I know oh. exactly what it stands for. <laughs> You're um, trying to distance yourself from I think it. it means, I'm not really sure. I wasn't that into it. You completely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it was just, it was something at the time that sounded so much fun. Yeah. And when I first started, it was taking acting classes and working out and you're around this group of people and everyone is laughing and joking. And then you, you start to choreograph and coordinate and you get to be really creative, yeah. which I, I love being able to be creative. And mm. so I think that stood out for me. And I was like, this, this is something I could see myself doing. This is fun. Did you do competition? But I did a few very low level. What was your um, name? What we're talking. Name? So I actually went by just Chardonnay Marie. Nice. They called me the Scorpia, <laughs> like the Scorpion <laughs> Scorpia. Um, it was fun, you know. I got to ride in on a little tiny motorcycle and cruise, make a couple laps around the ring, and then jump in Do and run the ropes. Did you wear like a unitard ropes. or something? Um, I wore. I Describe, just wore shorts, shorts, a tank top, and then I wore those white knee-high socks with the two red stripes at the top. Nice. Um, and a pair of Vans shoes. Yeah. I I still wear Vans, so I don't know. Maybe it's a Oh, I love my thing. Yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, um, it's fun. It's a crazy experience to have. And it's one of those things that, that very few people relate to. Like, why would you do that? And I was like, well, I'd always been athletic. I like working out. And it's fun. I mean, serving in a way is dinner and a show. Yes. And an experience and creating that. And so to be able to create an experience and uh, dance, wrestle, I don't know. I it love was it. It was a good time. As but, you're yeah. telling me, and I'm, I start laughing. As in the middle of laughing, I'm like, "Why am I laughing? It's just so. It's like fantastical. I think is what it is. It's just because it's one of those things that you see, and when you see it on TV, you're like, "This can't be real. No. Like, what is this? What are these people doing? Like, what type of person? That's exactly wants right. to do this. Yeah. And then when you're on my side and you've done it, you're like, "Those are some of my best friends. We had so much fun. I bet." So I bet there's a lot of funny people in that too. Very funny. Yeah. Um. Mostly, no one is serious. I mean, no one. I. No one takes themselves serious. Yeah. So it's like joining the circus. Yeah. And yeah. And you. And you know when you're like, we're gonna go out tonight. This is what we're gonna do. Uh, We're gonna have a great time. And then afterwards, you all hang out. Yeah. And you go and you break bread together and have some drinks and you know talk about other things yeah so I love that yeah well and also you know think about the the I'm there are two people I know of who have come out of wrestling who've been extremely successful the rock who I think is like I I want to say he's the number one highest paid male actor um and then um what was the guy's name is there John Cena oh it's oh I didn't know John Cena's one Oh, okay. But what about Jesse Ventura? Oh, Jesse Ventura. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Hulk. And like, I grew up with that. So even being in Wyoming, my cousins would watch wrestling. I think that's probably maybe a little bit why I thought it was cool. Yeah. My cousins would watch that and they were always older than me. And then they would reenact it in the yard. And, and so in in a way I grew up watching wrestling and, and even my grandparents thought the Hulk was funny, you know, and he'd do the mustache and be like, brother. (laughs) Um, And we used to do that all the time, the handlebar mustache and. So I think it was something that I was like, this is what I did growing up as a kid and watching wrestling. And, and so now to get to do it would be kind of cool. But Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You strike me as a very physical person. You like experiences. I don't mean to speak for you, but no. what I'm gathering is you like to experience things through your body. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people, like I experience things through my head mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but yeah, like physical winemaking is so physical. Incredibly, yeah. 
Um, and then obviously the wrestling. And you mentioned that you did <laughs> oh, yoga. Yeah. Did you teach yoga? Mm-hmm. So around the same time uh, that I started wrestling, um, someone basically was like, get certified either as a personal trainer or a yoga teacher, something Mm -hmm. so that you have two sides. You have another business because you can't fully support yourself on wrestling, but as a wrestler or as an entertainer or someone, you can have a fitness business and that can become your, your main focus. And so, um, I did go into yoga teacher training. I finished, I taught yoga for the last seven ish years, which is crazy to be like wrestling and it's violent. And then yoga, in essence, is the exact opposite. But it's a counter thing. I, I understand yeah. that a balance. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's fun. Opposites, highs and lows. I love something that's like top shelf, yep. um, you know, solo champagne. And then I'll drink a Miller Light because right. you know highs and lows. Because you want the high life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's MGD. The yes. yeah, the champagne of beers or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Coors one? The banquet beer. The banquet beer. It's um, it's what? yellow. It's called a Palomino. Yeah. And I used to have a yellow horse. And the Palomino, but we called him Coors. Oh, yeah. of course you did. Yeah. Oh, right. And Colorado. Yeah, yeah. It's all starting to make yeah. sense. <laughs> but yeah, the physicality of all of those things and yoga is so physical. Um, yeah. And, and like breath work and all of that. Yeah. So do you That's still fun. teach? I'm um, not currently. I um, taught in the last time would be 2019. Mm-hmm. I was in L.A. for a little bit before I came up here to start Harvest. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was just doing some yoga teacher training, working at a wine shop called Esther's down there, which mm-hmm. was super cute. So just kind of fi- filling the time, waiting until harvest started. But yeah. um, especially now, it's super difficult. Nothing's really, studios aren't open and just the winery schedule. So yeah, which not is that I would demanding. never go back to it, but yeah. I think for now it's, yeah. So when you so. jumped on the harvest thing, what, what did that look like? How did that happen? Yeah. Um, I mean, basically after... I was trying to wrestle. I hurt my back and that ended that. And I was in the restaurant full time. Um, my manager um, kind of had me on light duty. I was having um, kind of a hard time serving the entire night. And so he was like, come be a manager with me. And I want you to really study the wines and take over um, kind of how we talk to tables about wine, having you sell wine and also staff training. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I got started mostly. What city were you um, in? I was that? in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. okay. Um, and I love doing that. And I was like, I'm ready to move on. I really want to focus on wine and I'm having such a good time doing this. And it's something that I really connect to. I've traveled mm-hmm. to some of these regions before. I've tried wines around the world. Um, I want to move to a wine growing region and really live and focus there. Um, originally I looked at California. I wanted to live in California since I was a little kid, which is kind of funny. I don't know what it is. I think maybe being landlocked in Wyoming, you look at what is one of the most different things that you could do. And I was like, I want to live so close to the sea that I could go there every day. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I went to Washington before. So I was in Seattle, Mm -hmm. um, spent a few years there and started doing harvests. Um, and the minute I did a harvest, it was like two weeks in. Um, and the winemaker was like, you'll know after you do your first harvest if you want to stay with us or not. And it was like two weeks in. And I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And oh, he was like, I can tell. That's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Were you in eastern Washington? Um, so I actually stayed by Seattle. There's oh. a little community, Woodenville. So all the grapes still come from eastern Washington. Oh, okay. But the wineries are located there. It's a little bit better for tourism, closer yes. to the city. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was, but yeah, that was my first harvest two weeks in. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. Mm. I found what I want to do. Yeah. And it was a cool feeling. It was like, I've spent so much time kind of like walking, you know, when you're in a city and you're on your way home and it's Mm -hmm. like getting dark out Yeah, and you're like, "Uh Oh, I got to get home. Like, I don't know where the turn is. Do I, do I turn this way? And you're starting to get like a little worried. Yeah. And then when you finally find that street, that landmark, right. You're like, Oh, I found it. This is it. Okay. We're good. We're good. I'm thinking about being in other cities where I'm like, is this the street I turn on to get to the hotel? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when I finally did that harvest, and started that it was like that that relief that feeling of just like oh here's the landmark Hmm. this is the way I'm gonna go perfect I found it I can relax now and just start getting into it so so cool so cool what what was an aha um bottle of wine for you that you tasted probably in Boulder I'm guessing when you were like okay I need to take this more seriously yeah um it's uh, by a producer, um, 
Chateau Neuf de Pop, Saint-Com, and it's the Little James Basket Press. Um, it's a Solera style dry red. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was just, for me, it was how excited um, my manager was to talk about it. Mm-hmm. She'd been to the property. She'd seen the vineyards. Uh, she'd spent some time there during harvest, like only about a week. But still, she was a part of that project. And so to watch her sit down and talk to us and say, like, oh, this is what the fruit was like. And um, the climate that year and this is their process of doing things and I got to help with the Solera and watch how they take wine from this barrel to add to this barrel to keep it going over years mm-hmm. and now we have this finished bottle of wine you know and she was just so excited and so passionate about that project I think that was the aha moment was being like you put even if you only put a little bit of time into the production you still feel so connected yes to that project yeah and that was watching her um, and just, like, I respected her so much, was just being like, oh, Kim, like, that's super exciting. I want to feel like that. Yes. Like, I want to have that connection to something that I'm doing. So. And and that energy and excitement transferred to you, which is amazing. Yeah. It just goes to show we get excited about something. We do our homework on something. Or we get to be, ex- we get to experience something firsthand like she did. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end with us. It it can transmit to other people. Look, it shaped your life. Yeah. Yeah, it got me super excited about wine and projects and yeah. being a part of the industry. So Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting. I've never heard of a Chateau Neuf du Pop that's Solera style. I'm prob it it might not be obscure. I'm not I don't always know. Um but yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And different. That would be a very different kind of wine. Yeah, it's certainly I mean it's something you try and and you're trying to piece it together next to other wines that are just made from a single vintage. Right. You're like, oh, I can taste these things. I can start to pull. Or, yeah. Yeah. So when you um, came to California, did you come straight to Santa Barbara County? So I didn't, actually. I, I kind of left Washington on a whim. Harvest had ended. It was that same kind of January. Do I want to stay and work at a restaurant for a year, find another harvest here? And I just kind of on a whim decided, no, I'm going to go to California and find a harvest. So um, I loaded up my car, my dog, and just drove down, spent about a month. Um, so happy I did. Went through Big Sur, mm-hmm. did some camping, relaxed, and went to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I didn't have a harvest yet, I didn't know exactly where in California I'd be. Yeah. And I, But I knew that being in a city, I'd be able to find um, a job at a restaurant um, and I got a job teaching yoga. Nice. I already knew that I could do that. I was with a corporate yoga, so they had told me in Seattle that I could transfer. That's awesome. So I, I had that, but nothing else. So I got there, no place to live, did the LA thing, stayed in some Airbnbs, slept in my car a night or two. Sure, sure. You know, it's so it was it was an experience. It's LA. I know. Um, and then finally <laughs> found a little spot. It's been great. Um, and then I found a harvest. Uh, um, my first one here in California was Stoltman. So. Okay. Oh, and a great place to start. So much fun. Yeah. yeah. It was just a trip. It was like from the moment I got there until the moment I left, even it didn't matter how hard you were working. Every day there was something that happened that you were just laughing about. That you were just like, <laughs> this is why we do this. This is what makes it fun. Yeah. Now we've got to go and work hard, process 20 tons of fruit. But hey, you know, like this was something funny that happened or tomorrow, you know, I'm excited to try this or do something else or... You know, it's such a healthy way to live. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Day to day, the little things that make you yeah. laugh, that just power you through that. Yeah. yeah. Make make any task something that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, even though our days were long and it's harvest and it's hot, mm. you're like, this is still incredibly enjoyable. Yeah. I don't feel like it's work. I'm not forcing it. It's not that type of work that's grinding. Mm-hmm. It's that type mm-hmm. of work where you're so excited to see the end result that every little step that goes into it makes it all the more worthwhile. So, yeah. yeah. And it's a long process. Yeah. yeah. We I, Everybody I've talked to for this season, I think everybody has said, yeah, with wine, you got to be ready to stick it for the long haul. Yeah. Because in order to see what you've done and if you've done it yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So Stoltman was great. Moved up to Lompoc, where I lived for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that time, I kind of knew I didn't want to go back to L.A., that I wanted to stay up here and find something. So I was able to find some friends who had a place to live, thought I was going to live there for a couple months, and now I've been there for over a year. 
And they're still friends with me, which is great. <laughs> right? That's good considering this. I think, year. anyways, I don't know. Maybe I should call him. <laughs> don't speak like, hey, to me. still friends? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah. Wow, what a wild ride. Yeah. It's actually nice. I live with um, someone that I did harvest with. Mm-hmm. So he and I have been talking about the future and wanting to start our own project or or even just what that would look like, the steps that you take to get there, where you get fruit, all the little things. And so it's fun and exciting to have that person that you can constantly bounce ideas off of and be like, hey, what if we did this, but we'll plan it for like three years from now? Because mm-hmm. I think with wine, the biggest thing you learn is that you have to be patient. Yeah. And so you can't come into it and it's not like school where you're like, oh, I'll just read this big book. I'll know everything. I'm ready to go. I got this. And I can cram. And I can just, yeah. It's um, one of those things where you're like, be patient, but don't wait. So like start planning, start thinking, start creating ideas, but be patient. It might take you a couple years to get something up and running from when you decide or even wine. It's going to be two, three years before it's right. ready to sell. Just relax. So. I think that's good advice for anybody's anything be patient but don't wait yeah yeah don't wait and say well let's wait until we're ready until someone says we're ready because a lot of times being new people are like oh you're not ready you've only been doing this a few years like Mm -hmm. just wait just wait but you're like well I'm waiting kind of but there's so many steps leading into things that you kind of want to start on yes like business steps and just kind of maybe we take a business lesson from someone and mm-hmm. and figure out how we set this up and that might be year one and then year two is let's find some vineyards that we like let's maybe go taste fruit this vintage from different vineyards and that might be year two and then year three maybe you buy fruit so right yeah um do you uh you've never owned anything that was just yours before like you've never owned a business is that right I've never owned a business no that was just mine before I've worked I feel like I've been very fortunate I've worked for people who've managed their businesses very well yeah and so I've had good examples of how to create business of how to keep business going um, marketing um, when to ask for help Mm -hmm. um, sort of when you're in jeopardy of slipping and and how to work together with other people yeah management that sense of community that sense of bringing people together mm-hmm. um, and building and growing. So, yeah. So what's on the horizon with that? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's just that a slow kind of starting project. Um, but certainly, you know, when I was in Washington, they had, um, they're called wine incubators. Mm-hmm. And so they're little tiny wineries that you can lease for three years or something. So it's to help new wineries and help new businesses get a start. Get off the Yeah, ground. and they have everything there. You know, you'll have like pumps and tanks and um, resources. And there's um, wine, consulting winemakers that'll come in and help you a little bit here and there. And so I think here, especially, it would be really awesome to see something like that start, like a co-op. Yeah. Um, or incubator wineries, something that you can do with a group of people that are like-minded, that are interested, that want to get something started, that maybe don't have everything ready to go in their minds yet. We're all at different levels. Um, and financially we're all at different levels. And so being like, how can we help each other so that everyone can make something, everyone can start something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, you're responsible for growing your own business and doing that on your own. But at least that little bit of like group support community. So I wonder yeah. how I, I I wonder how much it would cost to incubate a wine. And yeah. I realize it a lot of it depends on the quality of fruit that you buy mm-hmm. or from where, you know, mm-hmm. it's like huge differences. But could somebody start like could somebody do a harvest with say, I don't know, two hundred and fifty cases for like under five thousand dollars? Is that possible? I don't That's know. a ridiculous question, I'm sure. Yeah, I think maybe a number that I've kind of always felt comfortable yeah. with is ten, and it sounds like a big number. Ten thousand? No, it's a, that sounds. But yeah, we, for one year, you know, yeah. you're like, wow, you're going to spend ten thousand dollars on something. Mm. But I, I think that's always just a number that I started in the back of my mind that was yeah. like, I'm going to save minimum ten thousand dollars, and I'm going to use that for wine. Yeah, and. And, you know, wherever that takes you, yeah. you'll you'll find out. Um, and I think that's part of the process is that's, it's a business. You don't have to have the full 10 right away. Maybe yeah. you get some investors, take some pressure off yourself or 
I think now, too, it's there's a cool opportunity because there isn't necessarily something in the area that's exactly like that no, to right. get grants, to start writing to people, to um, find things because there's so many um, educational opportunities and mm-hmm. things opening up within wine yeah. and there's scholarships and people are wanting to go to other wine regions and, and they're saying, Hey, I'd like a scholarship to go. And that's happening for them. Yeah. So I think that in that kind of thread, there's probably an opportunity as well to, maybe start some grants, start a co-op, get something rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there are opportunities also for starting things that um, give people who haven't always had the same opportunities a chance. So maybe women, maybe, you know, people of color, indigenous people. There's lots of different. Yeah. There's money out there for things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times you hear, um, stories of people around the same age and they're like, oh, we started this winery, we have this wine business and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Where'd you get your vineyard? Oh, my family. You know, or right. oh, this or oh, that. And so when you're not from a wine region, like I come from Wyoming, I don't I don't know anybody doing wine. So for me, it's like I have to always find and create my own opportunity. Right, right. There's never going to be anything where it's like, oh, my uncle has some property. I can plant some grapes there. Yeah. It's always, you always have to figure out and coordinate and work together with people to be like, what if we bought this together mm-hmm. or, you know, a so. real expression of yourself, creating <laughs> yeah. your own opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ask everybody on here, um, you know, we didn't even talk about how you ate as a kid. Oh I'm guessing gosh. lots of beef, lots of beef. Um, my family actually hunts. So I grew up on elk. Um, you know, we had goose jerky. We always had wild game, even antelope and deer. Mm-hmm. So that's something for me. I like those gamey flavors. Yeah. So when I went home for Christmas this year, I was like, Mom, can we make the elk chili and the elk stuff? Because I haven't had it in so long. I'm sure, yeah. But yeah. So if you were having, let's say, like, am I saying the right thing if I say like an elk medallion or something like that? Mm-hmm. What would you drink with that? Yeah, they elk- gamey red wines. Well, they're gamey whites too, but... I'm thinking of a red wine, like. I mean, I'm. I might go burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone will laugh. I only drink burgundy and champagne. Um, and no everyone's like, uh, "No, you don't." I've <laughs> seen what you drink before, and it's neither champagne or burgundy on the daily basis. But good try, good yeah, try. Yeah, right. Um, but no, just just something um, maybe n- not as full-bodied red. Okay. So I'd want to stay a little lighter because elk tends to be a little on the drier side for oh, me. Okay. Um, it's not as fatty as beef. Mm-hmm. Um, and then certainly something, I mean, even with a, a little bit of er- more earthiness to it. Yeah. Um, so I could see um, going with like a m- more medium tannin, medium-bodied burgundy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, the first thing yeah. I think, what's the one... Gamay, I could, I could easily well, go, sure. I could easily go Gamay. I, but, yeah. I mean, I could drink that all day yeah. long. Um, when I was studying for the um, WSET, the wine that always stands out to me with the game is Merved because it mm. has commonly, uh, one of yeah. the tasting notes for it is often like sanguine blood. Yeah. Um, and so, which now that I say it sounds absolutely disgusting. No, but I think you hear, <laughs> we hear things like that as, as, wine industry people and that gives you a descriptor that gives you a a, good start oh yeah exactly you hear that and you're like oh that's what it's going to taste like okay i like that style of savoriness that's Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point yeah when people hear um you know notes of like we're talking about a sauvignon blanc from marlboro that has a cat pee smell or you know pencil shavings people are like i don't want to drink something with a cat pee smell or pencil shave no 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 I'm not asking you to drink cat pee. What I'm asking you to do is use that as a reference point because a lot of the same, you know, compounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know that I'm making sense, but I think we understand each other. Yeah. There. There's a I benchmark. All of those descriptors for me this last year have been the most difficult thing to relearn because working in the cellar, I'm no longer trying to smell a wine and pull out every individual scent and flavor and say, oh, it smells like this or oh, this is, you know, I'm getting cat pee, I'm getting, um, you know, bell pepper, I'm getting mm-hmm. these these flavors, these scents, aromas. Um, now it's trying to find the structure. So yeah. I'm like, what's the tension? What's going on between the acid, between the tannin? Um, how does the fruit play in? And not caring so much about... Like notes. Notes. Like uh, tasting notes. Notes, yeah. yeah. And, and so relearning that way and starting to taste wine like that has been a completely different experience, but something... Mm-hmm that I find to be so enjoyable. Yeah. 
Now yeah. tasting a wine, I'm a little less Psalm-centric. I'm a little less, mm-hmm. oh, I need to say something that someone else is like, oh, yes, I also get bergamot. You know, right. and you're like, oh, come on, everybody's got their own bergamot. Everybody's got their own descriptors, their own notes, their highlights. And so now it's kind of like, okay, this is how the acid plays with the tannin. For me, this is what it does. Like yeah. structurally, do I think this is a wine that's in harmony? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's fun. Acid, cool. man, when I taste yeah. something that is the first thing... I notice now. Mm-hmm. Um, does it stay? Like, does it last? And acid has everything to do with that. Um, it also makes something, you know, food friendliness and all of that. But the acids, I really like something to just, like, make my cheeks pucker. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I'm an acid freak. Yeah. I'll take high acid for sure. So. Yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Drop acid. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> time to time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Find me in the woods. Oh. No. <laughs> so would you, if it were your last day on earth and you're trying to celebrate Ooh, yeah. and you wanted to have some food, would it be game or something like that? No, you know, I think I got to go back to those highs and lows, right? Mm-hmm. Like what What would my last meal be? I think um, I'm obsessed with this potato chip, the zaps. Yeah, the voodoo, which, uh, which yeah. Charday brought for me. I, no one's ever brought me snacks. So these are close to you. These are very heart. close to me. I don't. I think you know they're just a chip. I just love them. Yeah. I think it's something uh, we had during harvest, and we're like, oh, these are great. They're like crack, and then after that, you just go with it, and yeah. you're like, oh, these are you know, I don't. I love them. They're hard to find. You can't say it's so just when a I find chip. them once in a while. It's not. You're right. It's not just How a chip to me. You? I'm so <laughs> passionate about chips in kind of a way that's. I, I eat them every day. But I think I would do those chips. I'd probably get some oysters, some caviar, highs and lows. Yep. And that would be last meal one. Mm. My other would be mm. chicken wings. This place, um, Finney's downtown. Yes. Right. They have a chicken wing. I don't know what it is, but I called it the chicken wing of my dreams. Is it the Asian And now, one? Yeah. And now I've everyone's like, I'm like, these are the wings of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, yeah. Uh, easy to please. But yeah. I definitely drink some good wine along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Probably. If it was my last day, I would drink champagne and burgundy. Why not? <laughs> you drink yeah. all of them. All of the bottles, I'm yeah. sure, on the last day. Charday, you're lovely, and I'm so glad Thank we you. got to meet in my I backyard. know. It's been so much fun. Yeah. It's a beautiful backyard, so. Thank you. Yeah. Listeners, I hope you've learned something, felt something, or been pushed to taste something new during this episode. I'm getting a buzz just thinking about it. If you want to learn more about Consumed or any of my guests, go to letsgetconsumed.com. Very special thanks to my stalwart editor, Chris Lambert, who helps me out when he's not working on his own project, the wildly popular true crime podcast, Your Own Backyard, about the disappearance of Cal Poly student Kristen Smart. There's new movement in that story, by the way, so look the podcast up right now. Also, if you like Consumed and think more people should hear it, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. That always gives me a thrill. Okay, until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.